Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, my name is Greg. I'm one of the elders from the city location. Hey, how are you? Um, and I want to welcome you to our uh, Advent series. And in fact, I, we're, uh, I want to welcome our streaming audience, anyone who is joining us remotely who can't be with us this morning. So glad that you've taken time out of your Sunday to spend it with us reflecting on Jesus. Um, this is the first sermon in our Advent series, Joy to the World. And, you know, the interesting thing is some of you will notice today is not actually the first Sunday in Advent. Yes, I know. Usually it's the first Sunday after Thanksgiving, but this year, because Christmas falls on a Sunday, we got an extra Sunday. And just like the two early Black Friday sales that show up in October, we're bringing you the two early Advent series starting in November. Um, but that's okay. You know, when we think about Advent, we realize uh, as Christians that this is actually a really exciting time. It's a time we've set aside to reflect on the arrival of Jesus. That's what Advent means. It means arrival. And there's just so much to think about, so much to take in and so much to celebrate. We figured, you know, an extra week couldn't hurt anybody. We just got to squeeze it all in there. So, um, you know, I, I don't know about you, but as soon as Thanksgiving comes, my wife starts talking to me about like putting up the lights and like getting the tree and, you know, playing Christmas music in the house. We've already had Christmas music in my house. Uh, and that might make some of you anxious because you're thinking, I haven't planned for that. I haven't thought about that. I don't even know where that tree is going to go this year. Don't worry. I'm in the same exact boat as you. All right, we had new windows put in and the room where our Christmas tree usually goes is full of furniture we got to move it all. Um, but the thing is this, Advent is not meant to be a time that brings us anxiety. It's meant to be a time that brings us joy. The scripture, uh, when uh, it announces the coming of Jesus, actually emphasizes this. Uh, it's interesting. If you have a big event coming up, generally speaking, what you want to do is you want to get the word out. So you, maybe you have an ad campaign, maybe you hire a spokesperson, maybe you put on some kind of event or stunt to really drum up the, the excitement around that event. Um, God does this. God's pretty smart. And in Luke chapter two, we actually see the story of the announcement of Jesus' coming. And so God, being the PR genius that he is, he enlists a group of heavenly angels to show up on the scene. He's got a heavenly light show, and we hear about this coming event. Now, I'll tell you a secret. In my house, my kids are um, very, very sensitive to advertising. Uh, they love to watch Sunday football and always the commercials. In fact, my kids, they prefer the commercials over the football game. And uh, they've been remarking to me. They keep saying to me, hey, Dad, did you know that Taylor Swift's boyfriend is selling stuff on TV? We need to get some of that. And I don't know if you've noticed, but Travis Kelsey is on every commercial selling everything. And my kids keep trying to get me to buy it. Well, before there were celebrity spokespeople, God figured this out. And he showed up with angels uh, and a gospel choir, apparently. And so let's look together at Luke chapter 2, verse 9, and read this story together. Luke recounts and tells a story like this. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Usually not what you're going for when you got a big announcement, but that's okay. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid. 
I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. This year, as we reflect on Advent, we want to highlight this phrase for all the people, all the people, y'all, not just some of the people, not just those people over there, but all the people. The reality, though, is that over the years, over the centuries of Christianity, many people have looked at this story. Many people have tried to look into the Christian faith and they have felt that there's nothing there for them. No joy, no good news. They see that they don't fit in. They feel like there's not a place for me here. And so the question then is, well, how can this story, how can this nativity, right? This baby born to a teenage mother out of wedlock in a stable, how can this be good news to anybody? Well, some of you are from rural Missouri, no doubt, Missouri. And you know what a stable smells like. And you realize that not knowing where you're going to lay your head, that riding into Bethlehem on a donkey, that giving birth to your child in the stable, that's like, that's gritty. That's hard. There's fear and anxiety and shame in this story. This story is not about a king who shows up in the palace, a baby born with a silver spoon in his mouth. In fact, if you really read the Bible, it's pretty real. It tells it straight. You should read this story, and the question in your mind should be, what are you doing, God? Like, have you lost your mind? You're going to bring the Messiah into the world like that? How is that going to draw people in? How is that going to get the masses excited? Well, we're going to talk about how this story is good news today. In fact, as we were putting together this sermon series, we, want, we started thinking, you know, there are actually going to be people in our services, people watching online, people who are going to hear these messages and they're going to say, you know what, it's not good news to me. They're going to count themselves out. Maybe they've been counted out by others. Maybe they just feel on the outside of all this Christmas stuff. And so the question for me, the task for me today is to show you how this is good news. And specifically, I want to ask the question, how is the story of Jesus, the advent, good news to the poor? So let's go back to our text. I think there's a lot in here for us to look at. Uh, I think that not only considering Jesus' arrival, but also the life he lived will give us some insight into why Jesus is good news for the poor. So John chapter 9, Emma read it for us. She did a great job. Several things jump out at me at this passage. I mean, the most obvious is, whoa, Jesus just healed this blind man. Like, who does that? Jesus. No one in the history of the world has ever claimed to heal the blind. Jesus. And the miraculous act is so great, so mind-boggling, that it's easy to leave the story after you encounter that, to, to, to miss other details I think other important facts that will help us understand not just what Jesus does, but who Jesus is and how he impacts this man's life. So let's go deeper, right? Interestingly, Jesus performs this miracle and he's not even present when the miracle occurs. 
He gives this man this uh, mud mask facial, if you will, sends him on his way. The man goes to the pool and washes. Jesus isn't around. In fact, Jesus doesn't show up for the rest of the passage. But what happens? The man's sight is restored. He is filled with joy, of course. He tells everyone about it and his community goes into an uproar. Now the text tells us this. It tells us that he was born blind. That means that every day of his life, he's been blind. He undoubtedly is shaped by this reality, formed by this. Every relationship he's been a part of, this is prominent. Every experience he's ever had, every opportunity or lack of opportunity has been marked by his blindness. In fact, it would be difficult for me to conceive that he doesn't see himself as a blind man. Not just a man, but a blind man. It would have been the first thing that you would have noticed when you met him and the last thing you were thinking about when he left the scene. Now, beyond that, he was a beggar, so he was poor. He couldn't work because he couldn't see. He wasn't being supported by his family. Notice, in this community, at this time, family would have been everything. What family you were a part of would have set the stage for your success or your failure. His parents do show up on the scene, so they live in town. They're not that far away. Somebody fetches them to get their opinion, get their story. And when they arrive, they say something very peculiar. They say, he is of age, ask him. Seems pretty hands-off, don't you think? I mean, the most exciting day of your son's life. Born blind, now seeing, and you're not celebrating with him. You're not hugging and kissing and dancing. You're distancing. Now, I don't know why he's distant from his parents. The, the, the scripture doesn't make it plain to us. I know that I've done some boneheaded things in my life, things that tempted my parents to disown or distance themselves from me. Janet, come and see what your son did this time. I've heard that plenty of times in my life. But I would never expect my parents to do this. We, we're not involved. We don't want to be associated. Just ask him. Maybe there was some family strife, some argument had split them. Maybe the parents were too poor themselves to care for him and hard decisions had to be made. Maybe. Maybe it was simply the shame of a son born blind. Remember, remember the disciples' question? Jesus, who sinned that this man was born blind? Was it him or was it his parents? Imagine the parents. You should, you've had a baby boy. You should be celebrating. You should be excited. But everywhere you go, whispers. Who sinned? Did they sin? You feel ostracized by a community. Your child is a reminder of distance and isolation. We don't know. But whatever the reason, it doesn't take a lot of imagination to, to consider and to understand what this man's life was like. The last thing that stuck out to me about this passage is how Jesus interacts with the man, how it begins. Now, if you live in St. Louis like I do, it won't take you long to see a beggar, maybe a disabled veteran, maybe a homeless woman, maybe a refugee, maybe a migrant worker. People in need are all around us. 
And the last time you saw one or passed one, I don't know what you did. I don't know if you stopped and helped them. I don't know if you gave them something. I don't know if you got their name. But what I hope you did is what Jesus did. See, the passage tells us that Jesus saw a blind man. He saw him. He recognized here is not just blindness, not simply a disability, not just a curse from God like the disciples saw, but a man made in the image of God, beloved by God. Where the disciples saw a circumstance to avoid, Jesus saw a fellow human. When the parents had abandoned him, Jesus approached him. And in a place where isolation was his daily experience, Jesus touched him. When do you think the last time someone touched this man would have been? No doubt the needs around us are overwhelming. And we certainly cannot meet every need, but we can see. We can truly see the poor around us and among us. We can draw near, we can affirm their dignity, and we can do our part to take away their shame, just like Jesus did, and just as Jesus still does. Does your gospel come with a pillow? This simple question is the title of a chapter in a book I just finished called When the Sirens Stop. This book was written by Lucas Rugley, who founded a nonprofit in our city called Love the Lou. Through his work and his staff and their ever-expanding network of volunteers, Love the Lou is revitalizing and renewing North St. Louis, uh, North St. Louis neighborhoods with um, you know, renovation of houses, youth mentorship and job training, and a few acts of simple gospel kindness, they are changing the neighborhood of Enright. Lucas tells a story in the book of how he moved his family from rural Missouri and Jackson into the chaos of this, one of St. Louis's most violent and impoverished neighborhoods. He tells a story of drive-by shootings and of tragic deaths. About two years into this endeavor, he has an interaction with one of the teen boys from his neighborhood. He's been spending his time investing his life, loving them and learning to know them and inviting them into his home, feeding them, playing football and tossing around the basketball and starting a Bible study. And this is how he describes the story. He says, I was consistently sharing Jesus is enough. He is all we need. But each week, the boys were bringing challenging problems that might not show up in a typical Bible study. How is Jesus enough when someone pulls a knife on you? How is Jesus enough when you watch a man hurt your mom? One night, after most of the guys had left, Devon pulled me aside. Can I talk to you for a second? He asked. I paused and waited for the tear-filled reflection on our Bible study and his fervent desire to follow Jesus. I was excited to see the gospel make such a positive impact so quickly. Can I get a pillow? He asked. He asked it flat-faced, no tears, no trembling with spirit-filledness. 
unfazed but admittedly curious, uh, I asked him why he needed it. His face fell flush with shame. I have just been using my sweatshirt and I needed something a little more comfortable. I found out that not only did Devon not have a pillow, but he also didn't have a bed, blankets, or a bedroom. He rolled his one sweatshirt up and laid his head on it while he sprawled out on the floor in the kitchen. Jesus may be all you need, but you should keep a few extra pillows lying around just in case. As I asked myself the question for this morning, how is Advent good news to the poor? I thought of Devon. I thought of this 12-year-old boy. I thought of his shame. I thought of searching an empty refrigerator with an empty belly. I thought of wearing the same clothes every day. And I thought about rolling up my one sweatshirt and laying on the tile floor. Poverty is a lot of things. And it can be described in many ways. To say it is stressful to live hand to mouth, not sure about whether you'll be accepted or kicked out of the house, whether you'll have to live with this auntie or that one. To live in survival mode all the time. To say it is stressful would be an understatement. And for so many, it is also dangerous. Dangerous to walk home alone, dodging the gangs and the guns and the drugs. And it is isolating, driving us to keep others at a distance because of our shame. How many times had Devon started to ask this question for a pillow before he actually had the courage to spit out the words? I don't know. So how is Jesus good news to Devon? Well, Lucas himself would say, Jesus is good news to all people because all people need Jesus. Jesus fulfills a fundamental need shared by every person, which is reconciliation with God. Every adult, every child, everyone in between is separated from God. In a world resisting God, and we don't need to be taught how to join in with the world. That comes naturally. Love God or hate him, believing or doubting, worshiping him or cursing him, rebellion is in our nature. The scripture says, all we like sheep have gone astray. So where does Jesus come in then? Well, all of this doing our own thing has left our relationship with God in shambles and we need someone to repair it. Jesus, through his words, helps us to understand this God that we're resisting. Through his life, he shows us what our humanity was meant to be. Through his miracles, he helps us see that God is committed to restoration. Through his suffering, he absorbs our punishment. Through his death, he wins our forgiveness. And through his resurrection, he gives us eternal life. What we need is not self-help. What we need is God-help. What we need is not some counseling, but the wonderful counselor. We are in the dark, and what we need is the light of the world. No amount of money or success can protect us from this fundamental reality that our humanity is working against us. And then when you add in the brokenness of the world, 
financial stress and poverty, relational strife, health challenges, well, that's when people start to feel despair. But then Jesus comes along. And here's the good news. Jesus sees the beggar. He sees the man. He draws close to the needy. He heals the blind and he rewrites our personal narrative. No longer was this man a reminder of sin in his community. But now, as Jesus himself said, why was this man born blind? So that he could be the stage on which the glory of God plays out. So that the works of God could be on display. And so this man now is not a shame to the community. He is a glory. But let's not just stop with God's power to do this miracle. I mean, of course, the miracle is important. The man now with vision and sight likely could get a job and likely the cycle of poverty in his life could be broken. But there's so much more to this idea of Jesus as good news for the poor. You see, after Jesus ascended into heaven, he left behind a community. And that community um, starts to grow. In Acts chapter 2, we get an account of this. And the scripture says this. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to breaking bread and to prayer. Awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done among the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, they were attending the temple, breaking bread in their homes, and they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we see that this community is not a bunch of people who uh, suddenly won the lottery and God uh, made them independently wealthy and they all sailed on their yachts into the sunset. It's still a community with real needs, but the real needs are being met. And the needs were deep. It wasn't like you could just reach into your pocket and meet the need of your fellow believer. You had to sell something, sell some land, sell some property. But it says that they did it with glad and generous hearts. Maybe that's the greatest miracle of all. See, just like in Jesus' earthly ministry, the poor were being welcomed into community. And the Lord was adding to their number. Now, Nikki Corder is here this morning. She has a story of God's faithfulness in the midst of financial need and struggle. And she's been uh, kind enough to share it. So why don't we welcome Nikki? All right, Nikki. Thank you so much for being willing to help me with this. Why don't you take us to the beginning of your story? Sure. So I moved to St. Louis seven years ago, and when I moved here, I had several unforeseen large expenses um, that was mixed with poor spending habits that I had developed. And so very quickly, I found myself in quite a bit of debt over time and felt very overwhelmed and in over my head. Um, I was part of Jubilee, plugged into Jubilee, had lots of close friends, but I couldn't bring myself to tell anyone this is what I'm going through. I just felt so much shame, which led to so much isolation in that. Um, I definitely, if I, I was like, I can't bring this to God, then I definitely can't bring it to anyone here. And so I just carried the weight of that, terrified of rejection, terrified that people would turn their back on me or judge me. Um, th- yeah, the shame was great. <laughs> yeah. So even though your circumstances were different from someone like, say, Devon's, it sounds like your experience was quite similar. Mm-hmm. Feeling shame, feeling isolated. Uh, tell us what you did next. 
Sure. So I was in a meeting, and uh, one of the staff members said to me, um, we were talking about being vulnerable, and he's like, you don't have to be, um, do life on your own. You, don't, you can be vulnerable with us. You are a sister in Christ, and we love you no matter what. We aren't going to turn away from you. And so I took that, and I went and met with uh, one of my close friends, Anna, and I just laid it bare. I told her exactly what I was going through. Um, she was probably the first person I'd ever said it out loud to. Um, Sorry, I get a little emotional. That's okay, dear. Um, But um, in that, um, she suggested that we bring in another elder, Kurt. And so I met with Kurt and Anna, laid it all out again. (laughs) And um, in that moment, I was was sitting there, um, and Kurt just looked at me, and he was like, what, after I told him, and he said, what do you think um, I'm thinking right now, and how do you feel? And I just said, that I'm stupid. (laughs) And he just looked right at me. He came over and he gave me a big hug. And he just said, God is not ashamed of you. I am not ashamed of you. The leadership stands beside you. And um, that was like the first, it wasn't like, okay, we need to figure this out. Or, oh, what did you do? How did you get here? It was just this met with love and compassion. Um, Yeah. That's amazing. Awesome. Um, So tell me what happened next. Like, did God just like pay all your bills and like everything was smooth sailing? You got a new job? Be nice. I'm just kidding. Okay. Well, tell us what was next. Yeah. So after that, um, we brought in another person. (laughs) Um, We brought in Mike and he met with me to go over finances, talk about budget. Uh, More than that, though, spiritually, he spoke to me about shame and how God doesn't see me with shame. And when I feel that shame, I can run to the throne of grace. And God is, Jesus is willing to walk with me. He's there waiting every time. Um, And that was very encouraging to someone who's, I've carried shame in many ways for most of my life. So yeah, yeah, through those meetings, though, and after that, I ended up, um, someone did reach out to me and tell me that they felt like God was leading them to give me a blessing of helping pay off my debt. Wow, <laughs> um, awesome. So, it, it, yeah. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. Tell me this last thing. Um, what do you want people to learn from your story? Yeah, um, I think, like, the main thing that is important is... Um, Bringing things to God, being vulnerable with him is like number one, but he places us in a community where we can do that. Um, being here, like I've, I've, I have some people to keep me accountable, people praying with me, directing me to the throne of grace. And it's also brought me more freedom in God, freedom to be um, just vulnerable with him. And that's led to other areas of vulnerability, um, really feeling freed of shame and just, yeah, condemnation. Awesome. Awesome. Well, God bless you. Thank you so much for sharing with us. So just as we considered last week during our Adoption Sunday, the scripture is true. God sets the lonely in families. So thank you so much, Nikki, for sharing all that with us. Uh, Your story puts God's goodness on display in a way that no sermon really ever could. Um, You know, the first century church, as we read in in Acts chapter 2, sets a precedent of this radical generosity. Um, It's been mimicked by the church throughout the ages. So if you're a student of church history, you may know this, but by the fourth century, uh, Christianity, against all odds, had spread like wildfire across the Roman Empire. And the Roman Emperor Julian actually said this about Christians. It's in his mind, a, a, a rebuke and a, and a complaint, but for us, it should be an encouragement. He wrote this. He says, it is a scandal that 
the godless Galileans, that's how they referred to Christians, by the way, uh, that it's a scandal that the Christians care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. While those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. So at that time, the Christians who were under intense persecution from Rome actually were outserving and outloving the Romans, showing forth the heart of Jesus to embrace the needy. So yeah, I mean, here at Jubilee, we're not perfect, but we do desire to follow in the footsteps of our Lord Jesus and in those believers who've gone before us. You know, in, in, in Nikki's testimony, what I see is these truths about God, the love of God, the grace of God, the heart of God, were for her intellectual statements, theological concepts, but they hadn't touched her experience because she was resisting bringing her deepest, darkest secret to God. Yet community ministered that grace to her in a way that nothing else could. And she experienced in that moment a touch of God, the reality of God. So if you, like Devon or like Nikki, you feel yourself living on the outskirts of God's community, the same Jesus who sees the blind man sees you. And we want to see you, not just your problem, not just your struggles, not just your heartache, but you. We want to acknowledge your humanity. We want to draw you in. We want to embrace you. We want you to know that every aspect of your life can be changed physically, often, emotionally, certainly, relationally, absolutely. For those of us who have experienced the renewal that Jesus does bring, our great aspiration is to live in a manner that is worthy of God. Why do we give gifts at Christmas? Is it because that's what is expected? If so, that's pretty lame. We give gifts because God gave a gift. It cost him something. He didn't just reach into his pocket and give us his spare change. He gave us his son. And that man, that child, that baby born in that manger changed our eternity. And because he's changing our eternities, we want to be a present help in time of need and a signpost pointing to the work that he is still doing in the world. You know, actually, generosity is a central character trait of God. Giving and grace. So if you have never received his gift of grace, I want you to know that today is the day. Today is a day of salvation. And the invitation that Jesus provides is open to all. You can come in, you can be seen, you can receive God's grace through salvation. And if you have a need, a physical need, a financial need, I want you to know that our ears are open and our hearts are open. Don't be deterred by Nikki's story that she's, the names of the people are leaders and their elders and all this kind of stuff. We have great desire to love every person who comes in to our community. Uh, you may notice that we don't make an appeal every Sunday for giving, but we do have something we call the Benevolence Fund. The Benevolence Fund, uh, we highlight each December, and it's an opportunity for us to try to mimic what the first century church was doing, to make a provision for the needs among us. 
and to do it before we even know about them so that we can respond immediately and readily and say, you have a need, someone's generosity is provided for you. You have a need, God's grace is available to you. And so if you're thinking, man, how can, how can I get involved? How, what, how, God, how are you stirring me as I listen to this message? How can I become good news to the poor? This is one way to do that. You know, there are more, um, I would say, proximate ways, like closer ways to do that. Even before I was an elder uh, in the church, I was a part of a community group. And when needs came up in our group, we reached into our pockets to meet them. I mean, you know, car in the shop, uh, an unexpected medical bill, um, you know, uh, things come up, like challenges arise. And we just got together and said, hey, brother or sister, like, we love you. Like, we want to serve you. Can we help you? Uh, and so you can do that. You can do that through your community groups. And then lastly, you know, we want to care for those who are on the outside, on the outside, outside, right? Uh, through volunteerism and, and uh, serving with organizations like Love the Lou or Young Life, we have opportunities to be present in the lives of people who have deep needs in our community, to say to them, you know, God sees you and God sent Jesus to come find you and I'm coming to find you so that I can meet your needs, so that I can show you that God loves you, that he knows the situation you're in that you have value to him. Would you come in? Would you join us? Um, if you're thinking about opportunities like that, maybe you don't have a lot to give, but you want to give your time. You want to give your efforts. You want to give your skills. Like Those opportunities are available to us and they're meaningful. Opportunities for us to be like Jesus, to take the time to be in the life of those with needs, you see, because when Jesus saw the blind man, he didn't just change his life. He changed his whole community's life. They all came to hear the message of Jesus, that Jesus can heal. And you saw the uproar that it made in their community. Let us be an uproar in our community. I'm going to invite you to stand and the band can come up and then I'll pray for us. Heavenly Father, we look at the story of Jesus, this baby born in a manger to a mother who's not married to uh, a situation of intense poverty. There's fear and there's anxiety and there's, we, I, we don't know when we read this story start, and the story starts where this is going. But I'm so thankful, Lord, that you brought the story this way, that you brought our Savior this way in an unexpected way, in an unexpected place, in an unexpected time to show that it doesn't matter where we start. You can do miracles. You can do amazing things in every life and that you're looking for that opportunity to surprise us. I pray for those among us who have needs, Lord God, that, our, that, that your grace would be present and would draw them out and that we would be ready and willing and eager to love them, to reassure them, to embrace them. Lord God, Jesus, would you remake amongst us your heart and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.